Section 81 of The Poems of Jonathan Swift, Volume 1, by Jonathan Swift. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Strephon and Chloe, 1731 Of Chloe all the town has rung, by every size of poets sung. So beautiful a nymph appears but once in twenty thousand years. By nature formed with nicest care, and faultless to a single hair. Her graceful mien, her shape and face, confessed her of no mortal race. And then so nice and so genteel, such cleanliness from head to heel. No humours gross or frowsy steams, no noisome whiffs or sweaty streams, before, behind, above, below, could from her taintless body flow. Would so discreetly things dispose, none ever saw her pluck a rose. Her dearest comrades never caught her squat on her hams to make maids water. You'd swear that so divine a creature felt no necessities of nature. In summer, had she walked the town, her armpits would not stain her gown. At country dances not a nose could in the dog days smell her toes. Her milk-white hands, both palms and backs, like ivory dry and soft as wax. Her hands the softest ever felt, though cold would burn, though dry would melt. Dear Venus, hide this wondrous maid, nor let her loose to spoil your trade. While she engrosses every swain, you but o'er half the world can reign. Think what a case all men are now in, what ogling, sighing, toasting, vowing, what powdered wigs, what flames and darts, what hampers full of bleeding hearts, what sword-knots, what poetic strains, what billet-doux and clouded canes, but Strephon sighed so loud and strong, he blew a settlement along, and bravely drove his rivals down with coach and six and house in town. The bashful nymph no more withstands, because her dear papa commands. The charming couple now unites, proceed we to the marriage rites. Imprimis at the temple porch, stood Hymen with a flaming torch, the smiling Cyprian goddess brings her infant loves with purple wings, and pigeons billing, sparrows treading, fair emblems of a fruitful wedding. The muses next in order follow, conducted by their squire Apollo, then Mercury with silver tongue, and Hebe goddess ever young. Behold the bridegroom and his bride, walk hand in hand, side by side, she by the tender graces dressed, but he by Mars, in scarlet vest. The nymph was covered with her flamium, and Phoebus sung the epithalamium. And last, to make the matter sure, Dame Juno brought a priest demure. Luna was absent on pretense, her time was not till nine months hence. The rites performed, the parson paid, in state returned the grand parade, with loud huzzas from all the boys, that now the pair must crown their joys. But still the hardest part remains. Strephon had long perplexed his brains. How, with so high a nymph he might, demean himself the wedding night? For, as he viewed his person round, mere mortal flesh was all he found. His hand, his neck, his mouth, and feet were duly washed to keep them sweet, with other parts that shall be nameless, the ladies else might think me shameless. The weather and his love were hot, and should he struggle, I know what, why let it go, if I must tell it? He'll sweat, and then the nymph may smell it. 
While she, a goddess, dyed in grain, Was unsusceptible of stain, And Venus-like her fragrant skin Exhaled ambrosia from within. Can such a deity endure, A mortal human touch impure? How did the humbled swain detest His prickly beard and hairy breast? His nightcap bordered round with lace Could give no softness to his face. Yet if the goddess could be kind, What endless raptures must he find? And goddesses have now and then Come down to visit mortal men, To visit and to court them too. A certain goddess, God knows who, As in a book he heard it read, Took Colonel Peleus to her bed. But what if he should lose his life By venturing on his heavenly wife? For Strephon could remember well That once he heard a schoolboy tell How Semele of mortal race By thunder died in Jove's embrace. And what if daring Strephon dies By lightning shot from Chloe's eyes? While these reflections filled his head, The bride was put in form to bed. He followed, stripped, and in he crept, but awfully his distance kept. Now ponder well, ye parents dear, forbid your daughters guzzling beer, and make them every afternoon forbear their tea, or drink it soon, that ere to bed they venture up, they may discharge it every sup. If not, they must in evil plight be often forced to rise at night. Keep them to wholesome food confined, nor let them taste what causes wind. Tis this the sage of Samos means, forbidding his disciples beans. Oh, think what evils must ensue, Miss Mole the jade will burn it blue. And when she once has got the art, she cannot help it for her heart. But out it flies, even when she meets her bridegroom in the wedding sheets. Carminative and diuretic will damp all passion sympathetic. And love such nicety requires, one blast will put out all his fires. Since husbands get behind the scene, the wife should study to be clean, nor give the smallest room to guess the time when wants of nature press. But after marriage practice more decorum than she did before, to keep her spouse deluded still, and make him fancy what she will. In bed we left the married pair, tis time to show how things went there. Strephon, who had been often told that fortune still assists the bold, Resolved to make the first attack, but Chloe drove him fiercely back. How could a nymph so chaste as Chloe, with constitution cold and snowy, permit a brutish man to touch her? Even lambs by instinct fly the butcher. Resistance on the wedding night is what our maidens claim by right. And Chloe, tis by all agreed, was made in thought, in word, and deed. Yet some assign a different reason that Strephon chose no proper season. Say, fair ones, must I make a pause, or freely tell the secret cause? Twelve cups of tea, with grief I speak, had now constrained the nymph to leak. This point must needs be settled first. The bride must either void or burst. Then see the dire effects of peas. Think what can give the colic ease. The nymph oppressed before, behind, as ships are tossed by waves and wind, steals out her hand by nature led, and brings a vessel into bed. Fair utensil as smooth and white as Chloe's skin, almost as bright. Strephon, who heard the fuming rill, 
as from a mossy cliff distill, cried out, Ye gods, what sound is this? Can Chloe, heavenly Chloe, piss? But when he smelt a noisome steam, which oft attends that lukewarm stream, Salerno both together joins as sovereign medicines for the loins, and though contrived, we may suppose, to slip his ears, yet struck his nose. He found her, while the scent increased, as mortal as himself, at least. But soon, with like occasions pressed, he boldly sent his hand in quest, inspired with courage from his bride, to reach the pot on t'other side. And as he filled the reeking vase, let fly a rouser in her face. The little cupids hovering round, as pictures prove, with garlands crowned, abashed at what they saw and heard, flew off nor ever more appeared. Adieu to ravishing delights, high raptures and romantic flights, to goddesses so heavenly sweet, expiring shepherds at their feet, to silver meads and shady bowers dressed up with amaranthine flowers. How great a change, how quickly made! They learn to call a spade a spade. They soon from all constraint are freed, can see each other do their deed. On box of cedar sits the wife, and makes it warm for dearest life, and by the beastly way of thinking find great society in stinking. Now Strephon daily entertains his Chloe in the homeliest strains, and Chloe, more experienced grown, with interest pays him back his own. No maid at court is less ashamed, howe'er for selling bargains famed, than she to name her parts behind, or, when abed, to let out wind. Fair decency, celestial maid, descend from heaven to beauty's aid. Though beauty may beget desire, tis thou must fan the lover's fire. For beauty, like supreme dominion, is best supported by opinion. If decency bring no supplies, opinion falls, and beauty dies. To see some radiant nymph appear in all her glittering birthday gear, you think some goddess from the sky descended ready cut and dry. But ere you sell yourself to laughter, consider well what may come after. For fine ideas vanish fast, while all the gross and filthy last. O oh, Strephon, ere that fatal day, when Chloe stole your heart away, had you but through a cranny spied, on house of ease your future bride, in all the postures of her face, which nature gives in such a case, distortions, groanings, strainings, heavings, twere better you had licked her leavings, than from experience find too late your goddess grown a filthy mate. Your fancy then had always dwelt on what you saw and what you smelt, would still the same ideas give ye as when you spied her on the privy. And, spite of Chloe's charms divine, your heart had been as whole as mine. Authorities both old and recent direct that women must be decent and from the spouse each blemish hide, more than from all the world beside. Unjustly all our nymphs complain, their empire holds so short a reign. Is after marriage lost so soon, it hardly lasts the honeymoon? For if they keep not what they caught, it is entirely their own fault. They take possession of the crown, and then throw all their weapons down. Though by the politician's scheme, whoe'er arrives at power supreme, those arts by which at first they gain it, they still must practice to maintain it. What various ways our females take to pass for wits before a rake, 
and in the fruitless search pursue all other methods but the true. Some try to learn polite behavior by reading books against their savior. Some call it witty to reflect on every natural defect. Some shoe they never want explaining to comprehend a double meaning. But sure, a tell-tale out of school is of all wits the greatest fool, whose rank imagination fills her heart and from her lips distills. You'd think she uttered from behind, or at her mouth was breaking wind. Why is a handsome wife adored by every coxcomb but her lord? From yonder puppet man inquire, who wisely hides his wood and wire, shows Sheba's queen completely dressed, and Solomon in royal vest. But view them littered on the floor, or strung on pegs behind the door, Punch is exactly of a piece with Lorraine's duke and prince of Greece. A prudent builder should forecast how long the stuff is like to last, and carefully observe the ground to build on some foundation sound. What house, when its materials crumble, must not inevitably tumble? What edifice can long endure, raised on a basis unsecure? Rash mortals, ere you take a wife, contrive your pile to last for life. Since beauty scarce endures a day, and youth so swiftly glides away, why will you make yourself a bubble to build on sand with hay and stubble? On sense and wit your passion found, by decency cemented round, let prudence with good nature strive to keep esteem and love alive. Then come old age, whene'er it will, your friendship shall continue still, and thus a mutual gentle fire shall never but with life expire. End of section 81